What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. This is the second response that Israel is going to have when they look at the hands of the Lord Jesus. Their first response, Zechariah 12.10, was they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him. But after their repentance, they're going to realize the second response, which is going to be now they're going to say we understand Isaiah 53.6. They understand. They're going to say now we know, yes, we are the sheep, all we like sheep. We are the sheep of Isaiah 53, 6 that went astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. We are the sheep that everyone chose his own way to. We have turned everyone to his own way. And then they're going to understand, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Well, that's going to be wonderful. That's going to be a wonderful day. We're really looking forward to that day, especially Brent when he goes out door to door to the Jewish people and they say, no, thank you, and slam the door. He's looking forward. Are you looking forward to that day, Brent? You're looking forward to that day. And, and so the, the question really becomes, that's kind of interesting, but, but, but the question becomes, uh, what's the reason for this? In other words, how is it, why is this going to happen, that Israel is going to be, brought, to be brought back to God? And so I was thinking about that, and it reminded me of when I, when I married my wife, Cheryl, my infamous non-Jewish wife, Cheryl. And when I did that, for me and my family, I committed the unforgivable sin of marrying somebody who wasn't Jewish and for which I was cut off. People said, oh, you were cut off because you were a Christian. No, I wasn't. Truth be truth. I was cut off because I married somebody who wasn't Jewish. Christian, that was just a frosting on the cake. Anyway, that's the way it was. My family said to me, have a nice life. Well, you know, I was pretty mad, I'll be honest with you. I was angry. I was very mad. And I said to myself, okay, if that's the way that they're going to treat me, then sign me up for the University of Goy. I said, I'll become a Gentile. I'll, I'll, be, I'll get a degree in being a Gentile. That's what I'll do. I was finished with them. That was it. I was done. I was finished. Fine. That's me. But that was not the response of my wife. And my wife Cheryl said, oh, no. 
I married into a Jewish family, and into a Jewish family I will be. So unbeknownst to me, Cheryl started sending my father gifts and letters, and, and, and as a result of that, the relationship got restored. And, and I remember one day we were all sitting together at dinner at, with my father, and, and my father was pointing at me and pointing at Cheryl, and, and he said, we are reconciled back together, not because of you, but because of her. That's what he said. Not because of you, because of her. All right? That's the way it was for Israel. That's the way it is for Israel. You would think that when one person walks away from a relationship, that both persons just walk away and said, fine, there's a new life of independence from each other. It's a new beginning without each other. And Israel did that. Israel walked away. Israel divorced itself from God, but God did not walk away. And God commented on how he did not walk away in Isaiah 49, 14. Isaiah 49, 14, when God said, but Zion said, Israel said, Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will not I forget. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. So Cheryl said, oh no, I married into a Jewish family and into a Jewish family I will be. Now listen to what God said. Cheryl said that, but listen to what God said in Jeremiah 3.12. Jeremiah 3.12. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep my anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity, that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree, and ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city. Israel walked away from God, and but God said, oh no, I married Israel, and to Israel I will be married. And this is the, and this is the why, this is the issue here when you look at verse 16 and realize that this is the trigger point, they pierced my hands and my feet to Israel repenting and coming back. But the place that's referenced, as I was mentioning in the New Testament, is the Zechariah 12.10, which refers to the national conversion of Israel. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced, Zechariah 12.10. So bringing Israel to God or back to God is such a priority for God that he speaks, that is spoken about in the context of the resurrection in Acts 5.30, Acts 5.30, where it says, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give to Israel repentance and forgiveness of sin. The conversion of Israel is so important to God that it's stated as a priority for the of the resurrection. It's just like God saying, okay, okay, the Lord Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Now we got work to do. We got to bring Israel back to repentance. Just this last week, I was telling a person that what I do is try to bring Jewish people to the Lord Jesus, and that person says to me, yeah, and how's that going? <laughs> I said about as easy as using your head to try to knock down a concrete wall. 
<laughs> and so naturally the question comes up, well, why do you keep doing it? Like I've told you before, the Jewish newspaper in Baltimore commenting on, on my efforts and, and Israel restoration says, it's a dismal failure. Not just a failure, a dismal failure. It's even worse. So why do I keep doing it? A dismal failure. The answer is, is because it's such a priority with God. And Israel may say, and they did say, the words of John 19.15, John 19.15, away with him, away with him. And the words of Luke 19.14, Luke 19.14, we will not have this man to reign over us. Oh, no. But God says in Jeremiah 3.14, Jeremiah 3.14, I am married unto you. And so when you look at uh, verse 16, they pierced my hands and my feet. I remember this verse pretty clearly because um, you all know about the organization called Jews for Jesus because they are Jews for Jesus and they're trying to make more Jews for Jesus. And so the Jews just don't sit back and say, okay, well, that's fine. And they make an organization called Jews for Judaism and they are Jews for Judaism and they're trying to make more Jews for Judaism, especially the ones who are Jews for Jesus. Did you all follow what I just said? Okay. So uh, th this organization, Jews for Jesus, Jews for, I can't even follow it, Jews for Judaism is an anti-missionary group. And it was formed by a rabbi whose name is Benzion Kravitz, Rabbi Benzion Kravitz. He's the founder of Jews for Judaism. And I remember one time that he called me and wanted to get together, and I said, fine, come. So he came, and right downstairs in this building, we met. We, we sat down together, Rabbi Kravitz and I, and he was giving me all the reasons why Jesus was not the Messiah and how my Bible is an English Bible and it's all wrong and it's not to the true Hebrew. And oh, he was going like that. And he said, for example, let me show you. And he turned to this verse, Psalm twenty-two, sixteen, And he says, look, what does your Bible say? They pierced my hands and my feet. And yeah. He says, that's not what it says in the Hebrew. Look for yourself. It says a lion was at my hands and my feet. Well, I wasn't gonna, just going to you know, lie down and fall over dead. So I, you know, I said, well, what do you think a lion does do when he lies at your hands and feet? Lick them? You know? And so you know, we were, this was our conversation. But anyway, and so, but as I was doing that you know, during our meeting, I kept thinking about it. Why does it say they pierced my hands and my feet when the Hebrew says, a lion was at my hands and my feet. It was kind of bothering me. And so all of a sudden in the meeting, it came to me. It was like a, almost like a voice. It was like the Septuagint, the Septuagint. So I said, well, what does the Septuagint say? I didn't know. So we got you know, a translation of the Septuagint. I looked it up, and it says, they pierced my hands and my feet. So, oh, look at that. Seventy Jewish rabbis got together and translated this psalm from the Hebrew to Greek. And when they got to verse 16, they said, they pierced my hands and my feet. That shows that hundreds of years before the birth of the Lord, that the common rabbinical thought for verse 16 was that the Messiah would have his hands and his feet pierced. And I thought, Wow, that was pretty good. And then I, I turned to the rabbi, Rabbi Kravitz, and I said, you know, I could see him, and from his face I said, you knew that. You knew that all along, didn't you? You asked me a question, but you knew all along that the Septuagint had translated verse 16, they pierced my hands and my feet. And he kind of acknowledged he did. We didn't have a good relationship. And from that point on, it became clear to me that his goal 
was to draw Jewish people away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thought to myself, for him, truth is not important. That's not important This is in this process because the ends justify the means. Whatever you got to do. Anyway, they pierced my hands and my feet. I don't know if you're interested in that, but anyway, that was what happened. All right, now we come to the prophecy of what they did to his clothes. He's on the cross. He suffered so much physical pain. He's so much soul pain. He's been forsaken by God. He's had his hope in God mocked. And, and now he's hurt with this ultimate indignity of not only being stripped naked, but then watching his clothes be gambled, torn and gambled away. What actually happened is given to us in John 19. 23, John 19, 23, when it says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments, made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let's not rend it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldier did. So, he watches as the soldiers are kind of excited, and they're dividing up his clothes. They're ripping up his clothes. And so he sees the soldiers. They're ripping up so that, they, so that they, each person can get a little bit of fabric from his clothes. And, we can, and he sees the soldiers smiling to get these rewards. They're really happy. The unusual part about him, as opposed to anybody else on the cross, he not only saw their outward, he knew their thoughts. He could see their thoughts. He could see their thoughts of, oh, I'm going to take this fabric home to my wife. She's making a patch quilt, a patch quilt of all the people who were crucified here. Or some of the soldiers are thinking, you know, I need some good rags. I got to clean up my shield once in a while. That's what this will be for. And he, knowing this, their thoughts, he's watching all this, his clothes be torn up, and he sees what each soldier is planning. And we can just imagine what's he thinking. And he's watching this all take place before his cross of death. And this is the fulfillment of verse 18. Of verse 18, they part my garments among them. And then the soldiers came to his coat. They all agree, so this is too nice to rip up. No, 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 the soldiers say, they think about ripping it up and they say, no, 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 the, so, the, the coat's gonna lose all its value if we rip it up to recover the fabric. It, it shouldn't be ripped up, we'll gamble for it. And, and he sees all the soldiers, each one wants the coat. And he sees them smiling as they're thinking, well, I'll win the, I'll win the gamble and it'll be mine and, and how nice it's going to be. I'm going to have this nice coat. I'm going to wear it. I'm going to give it to my son. He's going to be happy. And so he watches with intensity. These soldiers, they hope to get his coat. And then comes the winner of the coat and he watches the look of disappointment on all the other soldiers' faces who didn't get the coat and he watches the soldier who won and he smiles and takes his coat and maybe that soldier, I don't know, looks at the Lord on the cross with his prize and says, what? You don't need these anymore. What's gonna happen to you? You don't need, you don't need any clothes anymore. And so the Lord watches as his last possession on earth, his possessions on earth, they're either torn up or it's gambled away. And we can imagine his, his initial thoughts is like, wait, what are they doing? Those are my clothes. Those are my only possessions I had here on earth. And as we think of the Lord with those thoughts, we can't help but imagine what would we have thought if we were there, if we were on the cross. I know perish the thought, but if we just if. If we were on the cross and we saw our clothes, our last possessions on earth, either being torn up and gambled away, maybe kind of like those people, just a little bit, I mean, uh, as Christian was asking us to pray for those with the fire 
up there, the campfire up there in, in the north and the, and the other fire by Malibu. Maybe kind of like them a little bit when they return to find that everything is gone, destroyed. One thing maybe those people think, and, and the Lord perhaps would have thought was that, well, that pretty much cuts the line that tethered me to earth. That's it now. And sometimes the Lord allows a loss to turn our eyes away from earth and to heaven as our new home. Because one thing God said was that remember Lot's wife. Don't forget her. He said, remember my body, which is broken for you. Remember my blood in the communion, but remember Lot's wife. Wasn't very, very often that he said remember, but that was one of the things he said remember. Remember Lot's wife. And when we do remember Lot's wife, it brings us back to Genesis 19, Genesis 19, 15, because in Genesis 19, 15, it says, when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, Lot with Lot and his wife, his, his daughters, living in the city of Sodom, about to be destroyed. And the angels hastened Lot, saying, arise, take thy wife, thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto them, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. Can you imagine that scene? Can you just imagine that scene where the angels have told Lot, they've told Lot wife, Lot's wife, it's time, it's time. It's time to leave now. It's time to leave Sodom. It's going to be destroyed and it's now time to look forward and don't look back. And the scene for Lot and his wife, we can imagine Lot and his wife saying, what? What are you saying? This is our life. You just came here tonight to lodge, and now all of a sudden you're saying, let's leave. This is our life. This is our home. These are our possessions. We've built our life here. We've made this our home just the way we wanted. It took a lifetime for us to decorate this house just the way we wanted, arrange it just the way we wanted. The home is filled with all the things that we have spent our life obtaining. Now you're telling us that all of a sudden that we have to turn our back just tonight, just like that? And the Bible explains that the response of Lot in Genesis 19.16, Genesis 19.16, was just two words. He lingered. He lingered. That just has a world of meaning in that word. He lingered. He lingered means he was not, okay, ready, let's go, vamanos. Uh, he lingered means that he questioned. Wait, 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 wait. It means that he hesitated. He thought, is this a wise thing to do, turn our back on all this? It means that he was reluctant. It means that he delayed it means that he just said, well, can we just stay just a little bit longer? And Lot's questioning all that he was doing with his hesitating and his reluctance and his delaying was dangerous, was going to be about to be fatal for Lot to the point where the Lord did something that's very unusual and very merciful to Lot. And it's described as in, in Genesis 19, 16, verse 16, while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, upon the hand of his wife, upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him forth. So the angels just took Lot's hand, and they took the hand of Lot's wife, and they took the hand of the two daughters, and they dragged him out of there. They pulled him out and said, we're going. And the Lord just pushed him out of that house, which is very unusual, because the Lord does not overrule, typically, a person's will and push them. But the Lord did here. 
And then they came to a point, and they came to a point in time when they were out of the city, out of the city, they're away from the house, and it says in verse 19, Genesis 19, 17, 19, 17, it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, lest thou be consumed. It was just too much. It was just too much for Lot's wife. I mean, she'd been dragged out of Sodom and Sodom there, but the lure, the pull, the call, of her house and her friends and her possessions. It was just too strong for her to resist. And she caved and she turned back. And when she did, Lot's wife became an eternal monument for for why we should not love not the world. She became a monument of salt that stood through the ages and why it's so important to to listen to the warning, to heed the warning in 1 John 2.15. 1 John 2.15, love not the world neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And it was of the Lord's mercy that he took her hand and dragged her out of her city, but there was a limit to God's mercy. And once she was out of the city, then it was time for her, now you have to make your own decision, Mrs. Lott. You have to make your own decision now. The training wheels are coming off of your bike and you've got to ride it alone. And that was the time, and she failed, and she failed. But here the Lord is on the cross in Psalm 22, verse 16, and on the cross, He's seeing his his clothes are ripped up. They're being gambled away. That was the loss of all his possessions on earth. Some lose their possessions on earth, like we talked about in the fire. And the question is, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do when you lose it all? And the answer comes from a message that was sent to a a group of Jewish believers in Hebrews 10.34, in Hebrews 10.34, where it says, you had compassion on me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. The answer is an inward knowledge, knowing in yourself that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. You know, last week I was with a friend of mine in, uh, in Loretto, and he showed me a property that he bought Right on the boardwalk there, they call it the Malacone or something like that. Anyway, across facing the sea. And he told me the story. He said, you know, he bought this property from his friend, and his friend came to him. And it was a property there, a business property. And he says, he didn't have any money. And, and he, asked, uh, he asked him, he said, hey, can you just give me, uh, it was $500,000. Can you just give me half the money for my family? I don't have any money. So my friend gave him $250,000. And then before the escrow closed, he was supposed to get the second payment of the 250000 before the escrow closed. He came back and he said, you know, my mother just got cancer. And I don't have, we don't have the money to pay for the treatments for her. So could, could you just give me the other half? And so, you know, my friend, he, he said, yeah, sure. And he, he gave him the, the final $250,000. So it came time to sign over the property, the escrow closing. And his friend said, told him, he says, you still owe me the last $250,000. And my friend says, What? I paid you that. He says, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. You still owe me the $250,000. So the property is in court and so forth. Now, what do you do when you're cheated like that? What do you do? What you do is you look at verse 18. Verse 18, 
They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. And you remember how the Lord was cheated out of his clothes. Reminds me, I think I've told you this, reminds me of the time when I was in London one day and I was walking around the city of London. It was very cold. It's always very cold in London. I don't know. It's just one, it's just London. London has sunshine, beautiful sunshine, three days a year. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.